Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning. Welcome to Talk Back Gardening, wherever you are listening this morning. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. And an extra special good morning to those who have got a magnificent display of roses in their garden. <laughs> Adelaide, of course, is the rose capital of Australia. They're at their blooming best this weekend. And I think maybe the roses are probably about a week ahead of probably normal. But uh, the thing is, they will soon fade, the flowers will soon fade. How do you get your roses to come in with wave after wave of magnificent flowers? That's what we're going to discover very shortly when we talk to President of the Rose Society, Gavin Woods. He's going to uh, look at uh, their show, which is next weekend, not this weekend, the Rose Show next weekend, but he'll talk about uh, getting your roses to keep on flowering right through summer and autumn. Then later in the program, for those that have got courtyards, maybe shady, and would love to have colour, begonias. But this time, not cane begonias or bush begonias, wow begonias. The begonia that the begonia growers know is probably the best, it's the most widely grown. It's called rhizomaceous. <laughs> rhizomaceous. Well, Get Val Hemdy, who's president of the uh, Begonia Society, to explain what is a rhizomaceous begonia and why it's so spectacular and why you should go along to the show today, the begonia show today, because they'll be on display. They're looking at their best. And, of course, it's the begonia and fern show sharing their show at the uh, Clemsing Community Centre. Fantastic. So all of that ahead. Plus, I have a couple of uh, October ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away later in the program as well. And we want your questions for John. So please call in, jump in the queue on 1300 222891. John likes to have a chat to you about your question, but if you've got a comment to make or an observation or you'd like to say hello, uh, please do so on the text line, which is 0467922. Eight nine one. Next weekend, not this weekend, next weekend, the Rose Society of South Australia will be holding their spring show out at the Garden Grove uh, Garden Centre, uh, Golden Grove Garden Centre. Um, and, and this weekend, of course, the roses are probably in many gardens looking at their best. What happens when the roses fade or the flowers fade? Can you get more and can they continue? Gavin Woods is president of the Society, Rose Society, here in South Australia. And uh, we say welcome back to you, Gavin Woods. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Would you say that the roses are in a little bit we- little bit early this year? Oh, yes, I'd say up to a fortnight early, John. Oh, bit longer to enjoy them, all the better for us. Yeah, but uh, at, uh, presumably it means that there'll still be a pretty good show next weekend. Oh, yeah, it should be fabulous. The Floribundas will probably be at their peak next weekend. Has it been a good season for growing roses? Been very good, John. The pests have been minimal. Uh, there's been a few aphids about, but they seem to have gone. We've seen no thrip. Um, and yeah, the, the colour's magnificent and the form beautiful on the roses, so fabulous season. Once upon a time people grew roses and they'd flower in the spring and then they would uh, die off during summer and come again uh, in autumn after it rained, but today's roses are a little bit different. They've got the ability to repeat flower. They sure have, John. Breeders have uh, put great... Uh, great detail into breeding disease resistance and repeat flowering into our roses. So let's take a look at that repeat flowering. Uh, they're in bloom at the moment, the petals will fall. What have we got to do to get them to flower again quickly? Well, John, you need to maintain the plant first of all, and that, remo- that includes removing the dead heads. And I recommend that you try and keep as much foliage on the plant as possible so that just uh, means removing the spent flower and try and keep as many leaves as possible on the plant. Okay, so there's the uh, the bud and you come below that, uh, there's sets of leaves. Would you chop off any sets of leaves or just off with its head? 
just off with its head if you can. Um, if you want to keep a nice, neat, tidy bush, certainly take a couple of sets of leaves, but no more. Okay, so you've trimmed. Um, what about in terms of uh, watering and feeding? Well, John, water's the key, particularly in our climate. So, you know, I think a lot of people spend lots of money on fertiliser and pest control when really they should be putting their money into water. So water, water, water's number one. Certainly nutrition's important and we recommend organic fertilisers. If you haven't fed your roses already, do it as soon as you can. Let's say you've got a a bush rose and it's a metre and a half high and you say water it. How how many litres of water would you put on a rose and how often? Look, John, in an established plant, I say about 30 litres a week. 30? Just repeat that. That's 30 litres. Most people might might put on half a bucket full (laughs) or stand there with a hose for two minutes. Um, Sure, John, and and that will keep, keep the rose in survival mode. If you want the rose to perform at its very best, then water's the key. Okay. So a, a mature rose, 30 litres a week, uh, once a week. And if you don't have a, a, a micro-irrigation system, you're pouring water on the soil, probably you need to put that water into a, a basin, otherwise it just disappears. Yeah, although I believe, you know, rose roots spread across a very large area, um, and providing you're getting the moisture into the soil, the rose will get the benefit of uh-huh. it. Water is not wasted. That's nice. Roses are... I mean, next weekend you're going to have lots of lovely roses uh, with big blooms on them, and they're the kind of rose that you, you grow to put in a vase or put them on show. But it's now uh, very trendy to have what I call landscape roses, uh, roses that the bush has a big... It's like a, growing a bunch of flowers on the end of each stem. Now, you, you talk about trimming the, the heads on your, your vase roses. What about your landscape roses? What do you do with them? It's the same thing, John. Just go along and snip off the flowers. A lot of the landscape-type roses you're talking about are what uh, what we call self-cleaning. So they will drop their own spent hips. So that's that's a great bonus. You don't have to do anything to those roses. They look after themselves. But it's the same principle no matter what type of rose we're talking about. Just cut the spent flower off. All right. Deb, do we have time to ask, uh, encourage people to Look, if you have a rose questions? question, we've got Gavin here. So if you've got one, please call in on 1300 222891. You can make a comment on the text line, which is 0467 922891. And on that, this texter says, My 39 rose bushes flower from October to April. I deadhead them every week. Uh, and this other texter says, I had a Sutter Gold Rose in... Christchurch, New Zealand, and it used to repeat flower five times in the summer. Is that a, a pretty good return, Gavin Woods? Oh, it certainly is, but five flushes of roses is the norm in South Australia. Five flushes. So uh, that's quite normal. Wow, okay. Mm. So they're, they're great-giving plant roses. One has uh, the imagine, there's the roses, they're looking a bit, uh, uh, well, they're starting to, uh, the petals are falling and you're going to cut them all off. Um, some of those comments, I think, are interesting in that the, rather than cut them all off at once, they deadhead them over a period. How do you go along with that comment? Well, not all the flowers will come at once, John, so there will be a variation in any flush. So, yeah, just cut them off as they fade, and you'll have flowers... Um, particularly on the uh, more profuse flowering varieties, you'll have flowers over a long period. How long does it take if if you cut your roses uh, off with the heads next weekend after the petals fall, how long before you get another lovely rose on that bush? Probably about seven weeks, John. So uh, it's a fairly quick turnover. And of course, if you've got a bit of a rose garden with a few plants, you, you'll probably have roses, you know, throughout the whole period. Yeah. You're taking the show out to Garden Grove Garden Centre. 
uh, it used to be, of course, in uh, one of the many halls around the, the suburbs. Why? Well, John, the Rose Society really believes in taking the rose to the public. And um, we're going to a fabulous big nursery, a highly awarded nursery that have given us space to display our flowers. So we've got a captive audience out there. Um, we've got a great program of public lectures, which are free to the public uh, all weekend. And just uh, something else I'd love to talk about is a community rose class where we encourage members of the public who've never shown roses before to bring along their favourite rose. We'll help them put it in a vase at the show and we're offering substantial prizes to the winners. Aha, okay. And the Rose Society certainly know how to uh, uh, put out prizes. <laughs> um, so that's a good idea because people now have got time to say, oh, right, I've got a bush and it's going to have a nice flower on it next weekend. So what do they do? How, long, when, how quickly do they need to get it out to Golden Grove, I should say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'd like we'd like the flowers by 10 a.m. on the mon on the Saturday, John. Yes. So I, you know, I just encourage people to go out early on Saturday morning with the bucket, cut their favourite rose, keep all the foliage on the stem, bring it into Garden Grove, and we'll help them stage it. Wow, that's a great offer, Gavin Woods, uh, President of the Rose Society of South Australia. Peter in Clemsig says, pity about all this wind blowing the petals off the roses. Uh, Mario from Fulham Gardens has called through. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I've got a miniature rose, about a foot and a half high, uh, probably 15 years old, about two inches in diameter at the track, but I've accidentally stepped, uh, snapped it right off uh, at the base. Now, is there anything I can do apart from... Um, I've cut off 90% of the, the foliage on there and I've stuck it back in the ground and keep watering it. Is there anything else I can do to try and save it? About all you can do, Mario, at this point is pray. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, th I think the top is unlikely to grow roots and uh, grow. If there's any sort of rigid wood left in the top growth, Maybe take as many cuttings as you can, so short little two-inch pieces, and uh, put them in a pot and keep it moist and hope they grow. But I think it's very unlikely. If it sends up suckers, are they worth saving? Well, it depends whether it was budded, John, or whether it's own root. But mm. certainly it's worth, um, if suckers do happen to come up, just waiting and see what, what it produces. Oh, Mario. Okay, fingers crossed and toes crossed by the sounds of things. Uh, Lynn on the text line, Gavin, says, I have a wonderful small rose bush, big bright orange through to yellow flowers. Can I plant it into the garden or a bigger pot? It's been in the pot for eight years. Wow. Well, I would have thought it certainly exhausted all the goodness <laughs> in the pot in eight years, but absolutely get it into the ground at any time. Um, this weekend sounds like a good weekend for doing that. Um, or yes, pot it onto a bigger pot with premium potting mix. Okay, and the perennial question that's coming up on the text line is what to do about aphids? They're certainly rife in my roses, as always. What, what, are your, what, what do you do, Gavin, in your own garden? Well, I'm a pretty lazy gardener, Deb. I do nothing. And, um, <laughs> that's the, the secret uh, of success, though, isn't it? You let nature do it for you. I let nature do it. So the predators are out there. Uh, there's there's lots of uh, predators that just love to eat aphids. So I let them do the work. The only thing you can do is go out with a, a hose and squirt them off. They say it's a long way for the aphid to walk back up to the top <laughs> of the rose bush again. <laughs> but uh, if you just hold your nerve, nature will take take its course. You happen to be over in Perth, I do believe. I am, John, and it's a miserable day here in Perth. I hope they've got some good roses for us to see at the Rose Show shortly. So you're attending the Rose Show in Perth? It's our national show in Perth today, yes. Oh, OK. How do their shows compare with ours? 
Oh, John, I wouldn't say this. Uh, <laughs> you're you're say a this friend. Loud, but but uh, nowhere grows roses like Adelaide does. Yes, and uh, nobody has, uh, oh, no, no state has a, has a rose society like the Rose Society here in South Australia. It's just a brilliant organisation, and if you're interested in roses, think about becoming a member of the Rose Society. Gowan Woods, love talking to you. Look forward to next time. Thanks, John. Thanks, Deb. Thank you. Just actually, Gavin, before you go, someone's just jumped in on the line. Jacqueline's in Christy Downs. Jacqueline, is it a rose sourcing question? Yes, it is, yes. Far away? Um, yes, I've been looking for a long time for a Floribunda Sylvia rose. I'm trying to trace where I can get one from. None of the nurseries seem to be able to help me with that. No, Jacqueline, I actually grow Sylvia. Um, but I'm not sure that it's still commercially available. <clears throat> and unfortunately, um, a lot of the producers who used to grow the older varieties are now gone. So <clears throat> I'd just say keep keep looking. That's all I can suggest. Yeah, and maybe go along to the um, Rose Society Golden Grove Garden Centre uh, next weekend. Now, it's on both Saturday and Sunday, Gavin. Yes, uh, Saturday 10 till 5 and Sunday 9 until 5, Deb. Fantastic. Okay, well, look, thank you so much for joining us and have a great weekend, well, this weekend in Perth and next weekend back in Adelaide. Thanks, Deb. Thank you, Gavin Woods, President of the Rose Society of South Australia. And I would say, uh, John, that um, Sue from Bellevue Heights says, how long can we encourage growing a non-food plant that needs so much water? Surely the future will be to save, not use water. But, I mean, that could apply to many plants in our garden, can't it? I, I guess the thing is we like diversity in gardens. Yes, no, oh, sorry, to that, it all depends on the kind of plant you want, mm. uh, whether you want to grow food um, and making best use of water. It's, uh, I guess, uh, uh, just too many answers to that one. Yeah, it's a big issue, but thanks for raising it, Sue. Appreciate it. We are taking your calls next. If you've got a question for John on any topic, call through now on 1300 991. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. I love the fact that uh, this hour of Talk Back Gardening is podcast. It goes statewide and including into Broken Hill, which we say is part of South Australia in a way. But Yvonne has called from Bendigo. <laughs> Good morning, Yvonne. I have. I'm an avid listener. I've decided yours is the best program in well, between Victoria and Australia, that's all I know about, but it's fabulous. But my question is about I've been suddenly invaded by harlequin bugs and I was out among my hollyhocks that are all over my... I've got a big garden and they were all up, up in the buds and they were mating. So I went and got a big spray and sprayed them, but the other day I found some in the lawn, so I don't know where they are. I haven't seen any more since then. The question but is, is are, they yeah. do, yes, Yvonne, are, they, are they doing any damage? Well, I can't plant my peas and all that stuff because they'll get them. Aha. Well, you, you think that they'll get them. <laughs> You've got them there. Uh, what are they feeding on? Or are they feeding or are they just sitting, I suppose, is where I'm coming from? They're in amongst all the hollyhock buds, which are just budding up. Yes. And so they're laying thousands of eggs. That's my other problem. Right. Uh, <laughs> let's also come in on a harlequin bug can be different kind of bugs to different people. Is it a sort of a, um, a single insect? It's about half the size of a small fingernail, or is it lots of little small ones and they all join together? No, it's a, a single insect with a dull red and black cushioning on the back. Okay, so it's the sap sucker. Yeah, right. Okay, they can be very damaged. They get into the tips of all kind of plants and suck the sap, and uh, they are not the easiest to control simply because, uh, I won't say they're sporadic, but um, they come in at a certain time of the, of the season, uh, do the damage, and off they go again. And by the time you've seen the damage, uh, it's too late to do much in terms of control. As uh, soon as you see them coming in or if they're starting to move into a new area, um, start off with just a horticultural oil spray and see if you can't spray them. Uh, they've got a waxy coat, and if you spray them with a horticultural oil, that breaks down the wax on their coat and they tend to dehydrate. Um, if that doesn't work, you can buy potassium salts, potassium salts, um, yeah. There's only a couple of firms that uh, put uh, that retail potassium soaps, 
uh, but they have the same effect. They reduce the waxiness, but the thing is to combine the oil spray with the potassium soap, and the two work together and are far more effective in bowling over the harlequin bugs. I don't like the thought of spraying insecticides because at this time of the year, there are just so many little predators, hoverflies. Uh, I, I was sitting in the garden uh, a couple of days ago, Deb, and uh, I have um, some grapevines. And round about now, there's a little caterpillar comes in, a little black caterpillar, and it munches away the leaves. And would you believe, uh, uh, not an army, but uh, uh, probably five or six of these little predatory wasps. You know, they're quite big yes, wasps. there are quite a few of them around at the moment. Are they ever? And they were circling backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, looking not for the caterpillars, because the caterpillars aren't there there, they're looking for the eggs. And if you take a look at the leaves of your vines and you'll see tiny little stems like, like little threads with a little yellow dot on the end of it. And that's the eggs of the caterpillar. And they're looking for them and saying, right, here we go. There you go. It's wonderful, isn't it, to look at the natural predators in your garden. Oh, yeah. And hoverflies are everywhere at the moment. If you've got lots of uh, um, daisy kind of flowers, you'll find that they're little hoverflies. And they are voracious, particularly uh, uh, the juvenile stage of the hoverfly. And uh, often it's, it's the juvenile stage of the adult that is far more damaging from uh, or beneficial in terms of, of what they eat. Yes. Now, Yvonne, where have we left you then with harlequin bugs? Some idea of where to go? Well, I do have one good nursery here, so I'll go there and see what I can find. Wonderful. And, um, I've got loads of hoverflies. I've got a very big garden and I almost never spray at all, but... Um, these things freak me out because they've been way down the road and like two blocks away. I've seen them on the footpath, so they've moved to my garden. Okay, so yeah, they come in waves. You get this warm weather. Uh, I mean, I'm waiting for sort of a wave of thrips to come in, uh, but it's a bit late for seeds. But listen, if you're going to your garden centre, the two brands that I'm aware of is Natrosoap, Natrosoap, or Ecofend, Ecofend. One, uh, yeah, I won't sort of mention where the, co- the, the companies are, I don't yeah. need that. But uh, yeah, there, there are two brands of potassium salts, and it's a pity that there are not more uh, chemical companies putting out uh, the uh, potassium mm. salts because they are, from an environmental point of view, probably one of the, the lowest toxicity and, and the least damaging of, of many of those kind of chemicals that are available to home gardeners. Mm. Well, good luck, Yvonne, and thanks for listening to us in Bendigo. Thank you. Thank I wouldn't miss it. Bye. <laughs> Thank you very much. One three hundred triple two eight nine one is the phone number. Just coming back to Sue from Bellevue Heights, um, issue about putting water on roses. Di says plant veggies, i.e. lettuces, under the rose bushes. I do. So there you go. Oh, if yes. it works for you. Yeah, you, you have to put on extra water because to grow lettuce, the, the secret of growing lettuce, of course, is lots, lots and lots of water. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there we are. Okay, let's come back to some more predators because they're out there. They're chewing on our plants. Gail in Murray Bridge, what's happening to your ferns? Good morning. Gail, are you there? Gail's obviously listening to us on the radio. We'll come back to you, Gail. We'll go to Chris from Heathfield. Now, what's happening to your rose, Chris? Well, I've got quite a few roses there, but uh, and they're all healthy. But um, quite a lot of them have, have got rapid growth spurts in two or three places with a lot of buds on top, and the rest of the bush is sort of healthy, but hasn't shown that. Is that a, uh, a scenario that happens with roses generally that you get this rapid growth uh, and then a, a lot of buds ready to come that are there on on this these uh, areas where they've shot up about a foot or more and then uh, a heap of buds on the end of these growth spurts. Is that a consistent thing with roses? I'm trying to get a mental picture of that one, Chris. Um, so you've got a bush, it's just a normal bush rose, metre, metre and a half well, high? Well, it's, it's, it's standard rose. I've got, I'm lucky um, standard rose, where okay. we've got, I've probably got 40-odd roses, but right. quite a lot of them have just shown this new growth with a lot of buds, the rest of the bush is great and they're all healthy. Um, but quite a few of them have got this growth spurt with a lot of buds. Well, let's imagine you know, that there's a standard and on top of that standard you've got uh, um, uh, uh, 
a canopy of branches. You've got branches, yeah. you know, little small branches, and at the end of each little branch there's a growth and then there's a flower bud. Um, if you looked at those uh, branches, are they all even in terms of, of their growth or are you finding that some are nice and green and, and sort of fresh and the others, uh, others are old and probably gnarled and not producing the growth? The, these, these are all new. I'm, I'm just going to... I'm running outside just to <laughs> tell you exactly. Giving us an eyewitness account, Chris. I'm going to give you... Um, and I was just, I've, I've got some along my drive as I come in the drive, and and I've got one, two, three, four here, and um, these these are normal roses, but I've got um, probably nearly two feet of growth. There's one, two, three, yep. and then there's probably Chris, four or five buds. Right, uh, Chris, focus on the branches. Tell me about the branches. Are they all even or are they uneven? Uh, they're pretty even. Okay. No, that's important because sometimes you get uh, older branches and, and you'll get uh, either a fungal uh, problem or some kind of a disease in some of the branches. And so you'll get yep. some healthy branches and you get some non-healthy branches. And if yeah. you've got non-healthy branches, you need to cut those out and, and, and re-stimulate the, the, the plant. If, on the other hand, they're all even all over and you're just getting uneven growth, I just think that there's not much you can do to about that. Um, no, so they're, they're healthy, and, and I, I, I fertilised when they were dormant before they started again, and um, they're looking great. But, okay. Um, well, the important message I'm, I think I can give you is don't overfeed. More, where fertiliser is concerned, more is not better. Organic is much better than manufactured uh, for most gardeners simply because with a manufactured fertiliser they put on too much. It's, it's very effective but very, very quick acting and can cause damage. If you use an organic fertiliser, it's very slow acting and I think it lasts longer. And so I think just watch your nutrition and don't be too anxious. More fertiliser is not better. That water amount that uh, your expert gentleman said, that's a lot of water. <laughs> ah, but you know. we're talking about probably one of the top rose growers in Australia. Yeah. Gavin is uh, a national rose judge. He judges roses all over Australia. Um, he has an incredible garden full of roses. Um, he with he, he's won so many of the prizes, uh, top prizes for roses. I think they've banned him from putting in roses in competitions. <laughs> but uh, and uh, you've only got to listen to Gavin. He's a very very practical guy, and he doesn't go overboard. And his results are amazing. Well, it's thirty liters per plant per week. Is that yeah, what that's you three, said? three bucket loads. So that's yeah, that's that's only three. My watering can is ten liters. That's right. Yes. So yeah. do one of those with some. Um, fertilizer, uh, he said, time to do it now. Yes, and then two more. Yes, across yes. the wheat. That, that, uh, if yeah. you've got a micro irrigation system, just bear in mind that that little micro, that dripper, is coming out at four liters an hour. So if you've got say one dripper on a rose and you leave it on for an hour, all you've given is four, four liters, not thirty liters. Mm. So the answer to that is, of course, is have more drippers going around your rose. Have probably four or five uh, drippers, and if if your time poor, otherwise you leave the drippers on for you know twelve hours, twenty four hours. Exactly. Well, thanks very much, Chris, for the call. Good luck. Just coming back to the comment about roses and the water again, Jesse and. Mitchum says plants and gardens have benefits besides food. They clean the air, capture carbon and are good for our health. Our sense of smell benefits from diverse input. Good to have plants that bring joy visually and aromatically and can make tea with rose hips. And Anne says something very similar. Roses are wonderful for edible petals, aromas and beauty to help our mental health. Mulching and filtered light saves water and they attract good bugs. So there you go. Isn't it nice to hear from garden philosophers as well as those that want to grow food or grow flowers and things to look at? Uh, yeah, and I tend to sort of, I suppose, focus on uh, you know the, the muck and the boots, how to grow them and uh, the philosophy mustn't be forgotten. No, I'm going to speak to a garden philosopher in coming weeks, John, so uh, stay tuned for that one. Now, uh, Hoya is the topic for Virginia from Henley Beach. It's not flowering, Virginia. No, I've lived in this house for 45 years. I had a Hoya here when I came. It's still in the same piece of pipe because they like um, 
being compressed and not in a lot of space. And it's usually flowered two or three times a year. But this year, I haven't had any flowers for about 12, 18 months. Well, I think it's time to give it a little bit of feed. Your assumption is correct, Virginia. Uh, Hoyas don't like to be uh, over-potted or repotted too often. They like to, they're quite comfortable to stay in the same container with the roots all sort of combined and, uh, and, and, and uh, all joined together. They, they seem to get some comfort out of that. But yes. uh, eventually, <coughs> they're going to use the nutrients that's in the pot. And that which is used must be replaced. So the important thing is now's the time to feed it. And well, I'm 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 confused because I have probably over fertilised the rest of the things in my shade house. Um, the hippiestrums are going gangbusters. Oh, aren't they brilliant this season? Believe. Yes, yes. I can't believe them. Yep. Whereas the hoya that's standing next next door is. Just not flowering. It's been okay. in that position probably for 30 years. Not everybody likes the same diet. Um, um, you mm. like to have a, a, um, a small meal. You, uh, your partner might like to have a big meal. Yes. And plants are no different. Hoyas are the kind of plants that don't need lots of nutrients. They are designed to live on uh, organic matter and, and pretty harsh conditions. And so where mm. you would uh, uh, pile the fertiliser into your begonias or your uh, petunias, uh, your hoyas don't do it. On the other hand, yeah. as I said, there comes a time comes when time. it runs out and it's got to be yes. replaced. And the best okay. way of doing that and not overdoing it is a slow-release fertiliser. Slow-release fertilisers right. are designed to come out with a good balance of everything, the nitrogen, phosphorus and potash, all in the right balance, probably got some trace elements that's needed as well, and it'll be uh, released over a three- or four-month period. And that's what a hoya needs. Thank you, thank you. With a clivia, if I keep those red berries on the end and pop those, will they grow? Yes, absolutely. Just let them dry out. Um, yeah. And watch them as they get towards the end. The, the, the pods will become dry. They'll open up and spit out the pops, uh, the, the, the seeds before you get them. So uh, uh, just get your timing right and collect the seeds, put them in a little paper bag and sow them next springtime and away you go again. Good. Thank you very much. Thanks for Thank calling, you. Virginia. Um, the number is 1300 222891. Coming back to Yvonne from Bendigo's question on harlequin bugs. Oh. Sue in Port Lincoln says if um, she was to not have them, she can't grow hollyhocks because they just love them. I have a large garden and had to pull out all my hollyhocks because they just breed and breed on them. Uh, also in the weed marshmallow, harlequin beetles suck tomatoes and their fruit on trees they really are a horrible beetle they can be yes could i ask somebody that's growing uh, those lovely flowers that have got a solution to harlequin bugs on your hollyhocks somebody out there i'm sure has got success okay Let's you can sh share it share your experience you can text through zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one or call in one three hundred triple two eight nine one and Back to roses again, Kim says. Roses are edible. The plant, the petals cost a fortune. Plus, you can use the petals as an acid-base indicator and find the pH of your soil. I first did that in primary school and still do it now. Happy gardening, says Kim. There you go. Um, and Jeff from Peary says, Yesterday, picked a few, Mr Lincoln. I picked some as well this week. Stunning red rose, he says. I'm looking at them now. The perfume and colour are amazing. It's even raining at the moment. Jeff, thanks for letting us know that. Carol is in Modbury. Now, Carol, I think I already know the answer to this question about tomatoes. I think John's going to mention the word nematodes, but fire away. Oh, hello, John. Hello, Carol. Um, uh, Deb. Yep. Um, I'm just, I'm just, is there any way that I can regrow tomatoes in the same spot if I add lots of uh, mulch? I'm on a very limited um, garden beds. I'm even growing in my nature strip and I'm growing my front garden, but I can't go out the back. There's not much room. Okay. So, when, uh, yeah, as no. yeah, Deb is absolutely correct, is when you grow tomatoes uh, uh, time after time, 
you get a build-up of uh, pathogens and little yeah. nematodes are probably one of the worst. And uh, once you've got those, they build up and they just uh, uh, make it very difficult for your tomato plants to survive. Um, one solution is to be very careful in the varieties you grow. There are varieties of tomatoes which are resistant, as distinct from tolerant, resistant to uh, the cereal nest, uh, the, the cereal cyst nematode, the, the root knot nematode. And uh, so Mighty Red is one of them, but if you, it should be on the labels, and often the labels are not clear enough, but there are a number of tomato varieties. Go onto the web and uh, look for varieties which have got uh, resistance to uh, eelworms. And if okay. you grow those, that will overcome your particular problem. Yep. Sorry, it doesn't matter if I add lots of, because I always add lots of um, organic matter, it wouldn't make any difference? Um, it will, yes, very, make a very significant difference, so long as you get the organic matter into the soil early. You need to be yes. digging that into the soil probably uh, towards the end of winter, uh, let it break down, and you'll find that uh, the little microbes, the good guys, uh, will, will build up in numbers. And by the time that the uh, uh, little uh, earworms are wanting to become activated in springtime, there'll be lots of goodies and not so many baddies, and the goodies should win. So That's organic true. matter is good, but make sure it's well and truly composted before you put your tomatoes in. Otherwise, there's a downsize. Okay, thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you for calling in, Carol. The number one three hundred triple two eight nine one. We are talking begonias next with Val Hendy. You are Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia, and Broken Hill. Have you discovered the colourful world of begonias? Begonias are ideal plants for those that have got shady gardens and we have spoken a number of times in the past to Val Hendy who's president of the Begonia Society about my passion cane begonias but Val is, is, is re-educating me and saying John there are other begonias out there worth growing and there's a begonia called rhizomatatious goodness what a name so <laughs> let's say good morning and welcome to you val hendy to this morning's program oh on the program <laughs> okay listen um you've got your show and we'll come back to the show itself but uh, um, i'm fascinated with uh, the rhizomatous is that the correct pronunciation <laughs> Rhizomatous. That's why it doesn't come out correctly. Yes, yeah. rhizo. R H I Z O. Rhizo. Uh, yeah, rhizomatous. Rhizomatous. Yeah. Okay. So, yes. what on earth is a rhizomatous begonia? Yes. A rhizomatous begonia grows from a rhizome, and that's like a big round root that sits on top of the soil. It has tuberous, um, it has roots that just go down into the soil, so it has no big roots, so you don't need deep pots for them. Um, and they just twist around and grow beautifully, and in spring they just flower. They just want to flower and look beautiful. And it's not just the flowers that look beautiful, the leaves also are probably a yes, major feature. Yes, yeah, springtime is flowering time and the plant stops producing leaves and it sends up flowers. And then as soon as the flowers finish, which will be about December, you cut the stalks off and then it sends out leaves and it just regenerates with new leaves the rest of the year. Could you descri describe the flowers for me? The flowers are like all begonia flowers. They're no different and they're in pinks, whites, reds. Um, they're just pretty, and and they're on and little on little stalks. They are on stems. That on come stems up or stalks. Yeah. From, yeah. <laughs> Some of them are shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and when is their main flowering period? The springtime, from now until December. You'll get a few flowers all year, but mostly it's in springtime. And so, at the show which is on today, presumably you've got lots of. Rhizomatous. Yes, we've got plenty of colour. Rhizomatous. 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 
<laughs> oh, goodness. It's funny how words get in your mind and you can't get it out. Yeah. I, I do that. I find if there are words that I mispronounce, I will always mispronounce them because you almost get a bit paranoid <laughs> that you're going to do it. And then, so you do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, sure. Okay. So uh, there's your rhizomatous begonia and you've fallen yep. in love with a particular colour. You take it home. Where do you put it? You put it in a shady place. You don't overwater it. Only water it when it feels dry and it needs a drink. You feed it regularly um, and it just rewards you. It's just beautiful. And you, once you start growing them, you'll, you'll always grow them. <laughs> Ideal plants for containers. Now, you mentioned yes. that shallow root system and just uh, yes. emphasise the fact that uh, uh, just the, the depth of the potting mix or... The shallowness well, of, the, of, the, of the potting. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the pots for the rhizomatous are, are shallow, but I do put them into water well ones and use them as hanging baskets and they grow very well in the garden. You hang them up and you don't have to worry in the middle of summer because they've got this little supply of water underneath. So um, you, you, and you, that's beneficial. Yes. You buy a plant and it's in a 10 centimetre deep pot um, you wouldn't yeah. put it into a 30 centimetre pot, you'd leave it in... The... No, no. You keep it in that pot until you look at it one day and you think you need a bigger pot, so you go up one size and you keep doing that. Right. Would you be better um, to go wide rather than deep? Wide rather than deep, yes, I agree with that. Yeah, mm. okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, so uh, there's the flowers and just describe the fact that the leaves are also very, very colourful. Very colourful, and that's the beautiful part about them, the colours on them, the rusty colours, reds and the greens and the lime greens. They're, they're so pretty. You take them home, you've got them in a nice shady position. Uh, light? Yes, that's right. Yeah. How much light? Don't put them in the sun. Okay. Uh, yeah. Plenty of light, yeah. And the light will affect the colours of the leaves. The more light they get, the the paler the leaves often. And so you need to play put and take with your begonias and grow them where they grow beautiful, colourful leaves yes. and where they're, they're and, and sheltered. Be, and because they've got these rhizomes, uh, that's their root system, that's presumably their stored water, so you don't have to keep on plying them yes, with water. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Nutrition? Nutrition, we feed them with liquid fertiliser. I feed with Osmocote. Whatever you've got that you feed with is fine for them. So I think that um, <laughs> I need to attend the show, the show <laughs> and start a little <laughs> collection of, of rhizomatous. <laughs> rhizomatous. <laughs> rhizomatous. <laughs> and when you've learned to say it, John, then learn to spell it because that's the second problem. <laughs> um, now, the Begonia and Fern Society Joint Spring Show is happening at the Clemsig Community Hall, 242 North East Road, Clemsig, today. Val, what times yeah. is it open, please? We open at 10 o'clock this morning and we close at 3 this afternoon. Okay, and just a couple of questions on the text line. One asks, are there any begonias which can be grown in a garden which gets severe frosts? Well, we have growers up in the Adelaide Hills that grow them. So um, I would think frosts are not good, but they survive. Okay, so there you go. And are these, these rhizomatous, the same as tuberous begonias? Asks a no, they're not. No, they're different. Tuberous are totally different from rhizomatous. Tuberous are more like cyclamen that die back to just the tuber, and then in spring they start to come to life again and grow, and yeah, they are yeah, yeah. very colourful, beautiful plants. And very, very, very colourful too. Um, yeah. While we're talking the fact that you've got your show, the Begonia Show, on at the uh, Clemsig Community Centre, of course, on the other side of the hall uh, are wonderful ferns. Yes, yes, a wide variety of ferns. Mm. And we have our shows. We join the two clubs together and it works well because people who love begonias love ferns. So we attract growers of all sorts here. Brilliant. Well, Val Hendry, Begonia Society champion, president of the Begonia Society of South Australia. Have a great show today. 
Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Nice to see you. Yes, yes, definitely. So that's uh, on, as I said, at the Clemsig Community Hall today, 242 North East Road in Clemsig. Go along if you can. Now, if you haven't won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month and you'd like to get your hands on an October ABC Gardening Australia magazine, call in now on 1300 This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. We love Talkback Gardening with you and uh, going around the state and even around the country at times. So let's go to beautiful Port Elliot. Now, Greg, your passion fruit doesn't seem to be doing too well. Good morning. Good morning. No, it's been in three years and it stays dormant until about late January and then it starts to grow. And, uh, of course, it's too late to fruit. So I wonder what I'll do to bring it to life earlier. Describe where it's growing. It's growing uh, on a trellis uh, uh, with a, uh, uh, an easterly aspect. So it's getting morning sun? Morning sun, yes. And is it getting afternoon sun? Uh, well, the, the, the fence behind it stops. It, it stops it, it, it yeah, yes. Okay, so we can sort of say it's probably getting the right kind of light. We need to then take a look at what's happening in terms of watering, probably. It's three years old. Has it developed? How extensive would the canopy be? Oh, it would be seven, up to seven foot high and about the same width, but it sort of dies off and some of the other parts dry off altogether. All right, so you've and got then, a big canopy there, which means that you've got a good health, uh, a root system, and I would like to think it's a healthy root system. Um, so there's that uh, canopy. Um, is it growing vigorously, dark green leaves, or is it uh, uh, starting to fade and, uh, and not getting much new growth? No, it's, it's got no new growth. It's still got all last season's <laughs> dying leaves on it. I suspect that probably it needs a good feed. Well, it feed... Uh, have you fed it? it on a, have you fertilised and watered it regularly or not? I, I, I've got it on a dripper system, um, so it does get water pretty regularly. Aha, let um, me, uh, have you figured out how many litres of water you give it when you do water it? No. No, okay. <laughs> uh, do you know how many litres come out of your dripper? <laughs> no. no, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Tr- I'm not trying to be facetious or funny. It's very, very serious. And many people have installed micro irrigation systems, and they're disappointed. And they say it doesn't work, and it's because we need to talk to uh, um, Richard Wilson again, <laughs> who's our irrigation uh, talkback gardener, and he'll be on the program shortly just to talk that through. It's important that you know how much water comes out of a, a, a dripper or a, a a shrubbler, and say yeah. a dripper comes out at four litres an hour, a shrubbler probably comes out at maybe 30 litres an hour. And uh, you've then got to say, right, that's the amount of water that comes out of the system, and I need to apply this amount of litres, and you work it out how many drippers or shrubblers you need to apply your 10 litres of water or your 30 litres yeah, of well, water. I've got it on a timer tap, and it's, uh, it goes for about 20 minutes. Aha. Uh-huh. That's right. not much water then, is it? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> What I'd suggest is sometime this weekend, get a, a bucket and put uh, the bucket, uh, put the dripper uh, uh, so that it, the water drips into the bucket and put it on for 20 minutes and, and you might be surprised that you've only got probably uh, four or five litres of water in your bucket and you need for a passion fruit of that size, I would again be putting on at least 20 litres of water when you do water. Maybe on warm days, put on uh, on when when you're doing a warm watering in summer, you'd put on thirty liters of water, and you you've got an extensive root system there. In, and unless it, <laughs> the soil is moist, it can't grow. And so I think that's the problem there, Greg. Yeah, thanks. What about fertilizer? Um, water uh, was it. Gavin was sort of saying probably far more important in fertiliser is the water. Get the water right and the rest will probably follow. It's surprising most garden soils have got reasonable amounts Mm. of nutrition. But if you want to, I would be using a liquid organic fertiliser. But because you've got large growth 
Uh, oh no, yours was buttoned off, isn't it? Yeah. Mm, yeah so come back. Is it so? Yeah. <laughs> so come back to it. Give it a good soak, thirty liters of water, and then water into the area that's been dampened down uh, a liquid organic fertilizer, and do that on a monthly basis until it starts to come good again. Thank you, Greg. I hope it does come good for you. Congratulations to our magazine winners, Sandra in Clemsig and Jenny in Allgate. Uh, We'll have two more for you again next weekend, so stay tuned for that. Now, John, you said that the soil temperatures are not advancing as much as we'd expect. They went ahead, now they've dropped back again. Yes, they quickly got to 16 degrees. They almost climbed to 17 degrees. Last week they were over 17 degrees. At 10 centimetres last week, the average temperature across Adelaide was 17 degrees, which is warm enough to grow your plants, but uh, um, not stimulate them, overstimulate them. And at 20 centimetres, it's 16.7. That's down about uh, almost half a degree on last week. And that's because of our relatively cool temperatures, lots of temperatures in the low 20s. And uh, the other factor, of course, is that's in having an impact on citrus gall wasp. Citrus gall wasp, the emergence is uh, uh, linked to, so- to, to temperatures. And because we're getting cooler weather, Greg um, Baker, our entomologist, has recalculated and sort of said citrus gall wasps are a little bit slower, one day slower than uh, what they're supposed to be. So they're supposed to be coming out on the 19th. That's their starting. And if you're in a sunny position, you'll expect your wasps to start emerging. If your citrus are in the shade, it's probably it'll be probably another week or so before they start to emerge. But uh, they're coming out. Now is the time to spray your citrus trees to make sure that you've got them protected. Olivia from Torrensville says, uh, I cut a few galls off the lemon tree a week ago, put them into a plastic bag. The wasps started emerging last night. Fascinating. <laughs> oh, yes. Hey, do that. Yes, yes. Cut a few little galls off and put them in a little jar and watch and see what happens. And you'll see how minute the little wasps are. But don't let them escape. No, that's right. <laughs> Keep it very controlled if you possibly can. Um, now, what are you doing this weekend, John? Repotting. I have a large number of a very big ficus. They're about two metres tall, and once a year they need to be uh, uh, repotted. So it's quite a job of taking them out. Uh, and I go around the outside of the, 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 the potting mix, uh, and also at the bottom I slice probably about two or three centimetres off the bottom of the uh, the. The, the mix and around the side and then repot it with good quality uh, potting mix which has got extra slow release fertilizer in it um, give them looking for the ticks on the bag absolutely yep. yes that's right and then uh, when you've repotted put them in the shade whatever you do don't put them in the sun in the shade probably for at least a week where they're getting good light but uh, no sun Wonderful. Well, lots of work ahead for you, John. Next week, tomatoes. Your information on are your tomatoes growing? Are they flowering? Are they setting fruit? So a lot about tomatoes and ivy geraniums next week. (laughs) Until then, good gardening.